Well, today we move to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is about to enter into a long discourse. Now, you don't get a lot of these in uh, in 1 Corinthians. It's been uh, a lot of different little issues, uh, you know, a section here, part of a chapter here, sometimes a full chapter. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, we have coming on the resurrection, a very long extended chapter. But here we're about to have several chapters, chapter 12, 13, and 14, that are really all centered around a particular issue. So for the book, it's unusual uh, and tells us really about the significance and the weight of the issue that he's about to deal with that it requires this much attention. It's not unrelated to the other issues that he has dealt with, but it is centered around a particular focus, and that is the focus of the unity of the church, particularly in the Spirit and regarding the gifts that God bestows upon His church. But underneath it, underneath, the the, the particular issue He's going to deal with here is giftedness, the, the use of gifts within the church, the manifestation of gifts within the church. But He brings up that issue because He's dealing with the deeper issue, and the deeper issue is who we are in Christ, our unity in Christ. And of course, that will be The next section, uh, you can see it there, the unity and diversity of the body. He will will go on an extended discourse on this metaphor for the church, namely the fact that we are the body of Christ. And he'll ask us to contemplate how our bodies work and then see the church in that way as well. But he introduces uh, the subject and this longer discourse with this introduction of giftedness within uh, uh, the church. And Mark read that uh, to us today. And you see it in verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You will notice in your Bible that gifts is in italics uh, because the word gifts is not in the Greek uh, at that point. Uh, It just says concerning spiritual things. Um, And he will later go on to talk about gifts. The, almost all the, the Bibles we have put gifts in there because that is the, the spiritual particularity that he will talk about. But, um, but it is an addition. It's not in the, the Greek, and I'm not trying to sound like a smarty pants up here by telling you what's in the Greek. But I mention it only to say that I think Paul is actually introducing this with a broader vision than just gifts. And, and the, the translators put it in there because it's the particular thing. But I, 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 in some sense, it would almost be better if it wasn't in there. It just things might be more sufficient. Now, concerning spiritual things, brother, brother, because he, he's talking, what he's going to go on to talk about really is the unity we have in the Spirit, in the Spirit. And so if there are gifts from the Spirit, then certainly they should in no way bring division among us. Right? If they're gifts of the Spirit, and we all share the one spirit, then how can these gifts be bringing division among us? But they are bringing division uh, among the Corinthian church. So I think he's dealing here with spiritual things. And then, of course, even in this text, he will get to uh, the issue of gifts. Now, before he does so, however, he reminds them of their past, right? That they, they're Corinthians, they're Greeks, they're pagans. Right? They did not grow up in the, in the tradition of Israel 
that worshipped the one true God. They ran around like all the other nations pursuing what he calls in verse 2, dumb idols. And, and dumb here the way that we just sang about it. Uh, that they have mouths, but they speak not. Ears, but they hear not. Eyes, but they see not. Hands, but they can't do anything. And Paul, in, in, in some sense, is reminding the Corinthians that this is the tradition you came out of, one of idolatry. And if we just take a second to look back at it, he's doing with them, it looks quite ridiculous. Because we have these ridiculous, dumb idols made by human hands that can do nothing, that do do nothing, and yet we give all this attention to them, all this honor to them, all this deference, all this ceremony to these idols that do nothing. And Psalm 115 is a psalm that picks up on that and, and mocks it. And in fact, he says, all who worship them will become like them. That in time, you become like what you worship. And you, 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 it, it dumbs you down, if you will, in the worship of these idols. And so Paul is reminding these wise, I'm putting that in air quotes, you know, these wise Corinthians. Remember, the Greeks took such pride in their wisdom. Paul reminds them of the stupidity of their idolatry from their Gentile or pagan ways. Now, again, you don't need me to remind you, but I will nonetheless, that it's it's easy to look at, at literal statues and people bowing before them and laying all kinds of little offerings in front of them and so forth and mocking that. I, 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 I get that. However, we must be careful, again, in looking at the Corinthian church or looking at Greco-Roman culture or ancient cultures and kind of snicker at them and their stupidity in, in worshiping idols. But don't forget, we've become sophisticated in that we've removed the physical statue, but we have a, 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 a panoply of idols that we tend to bow before, make sacrifices to, find it's not laying something before, before a, a statue, but nonetheless, the number of sacrifices we make to honor our idols uh, is not very different from what the Greeks and the Romans were doing. And so I just want to guard us. Again, I always go back to John Calvin's quote that we are by nature idol factories. You know, we don't just by nature worship idols. We by nature make idols. We're mass producers of idols. We're factories of these idols. So, so let, us, let us be on guard here. Uh, Paul is reminding them, but in that, in that same way, he's reminding us to be on guard against these things. Now, in verse 3, he turns to the first issue of potential division here, and he talks about prophesying or teaching and, and so forth. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Again, I think what we're dealing with here is a very particular thing going on in Corinth. There may very well be a teacher, a quote-unquote prophet, somebody claiming to be in the Spirit who is preaching and teaching, but he or she is preaching and teaching a message that is clearly contradictory to the Word of God and to the Gospel. And this, this was, again, let's not forget, the church is very young here, right? Corinth is very young, and so you've got these teachers popping up 
claiming to have the Spirit, claiming to be apostles. We have a whole group within Corinth claiming to be what they call super apostles who are, who are putting down Paul and the other apostles as, as being too crass and lowly. They don't have the real visions of God, but we do. You know, we are in the Spirit and the Corinthians are tempted to listen to these guys. So most likely there's somebody teaching in Corinth who is saying that when you see the cross, when you proclaim the cross, that's teaching that Jesus was in fact cursed by God. Now, we know that the cross, Jesus is cursed for us so that we through him might be blessed. And Jesus was blessed in the resurrection, right? The curse that he bears on the cross is not the end of the story. But apparently somebody is teaching, claiming at the same time to have the Spirit, that no, he was cursed, full stop. That's it. He he is a cursed uh, uh, prophet or a cursed individual, whatever. I don't know. The details are, are murky here. All we know is Paul feels the need to call this out. So the Spirit of God, no one by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And on the flip side, you can't say Jesus is Lord apart from the gift of the Spirit. And here clearly he does not mean you can't literally mouth the words, but no one can embrace that. No one can say that with meaning and purpose and, and with intentionality unless they have the gift of the Spirit. It's a very, two very strong statements here. Let's deal with the first one first. No one calls Jesus a curse by the Spirit. That is to say, remember, when Jesus said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, if we go back, we could have looked at this reading. I encourage you maybe to go look at John 14, John 16. These are the passages where Jesus says, I'm going to send you, I'm leaving now. I'm ascending to my Father, but when I do, this is good news for you because I'm going to send you my Spirit. And when I do, when the Spirit comes upon you, He says, He will teach you all things regarding me. So one thing the Holy Spirit does is teach us about Jesus. He is one metaphor you can have for the Holy Spirit is that of a spotlight. Think about a theatrical performance and all the actors up on stage, maybe the main actor comes out to give some soliloquy and it's darkness and the actor comes out and then poof, you know, the spotlight comes and illuminates him. Well, that is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit illumines Jesus for the church and for the world. That is his task. The Spirit brings us to Jesus. The Spirit unites us to Jesus. The Spirit teaches us about Jesus. The Spirit illuminates Jesus. The Spirit most certainly does not contradict Jesus. There's no division or disunity within God or within the teaching of God. And so when the Spirit comes contradicting, or when somebody comes contradicting, claiming to have the Spirit, Paul is able to say, red flags should be going up all over the place. This is not of God. The Spirit comes to magnify the Son and to glorify the Son. And then on the flip side, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Here again, this is, a, this is an important verse for us Reformed folk because we say, yes, that's right. Unless the Holy Spirit is in us, unless the Holy Spirit is working in us, changing our hearts, 
taking away the heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh, no one, no one will say Jesus is Lord. It's a radical, a radical thing to say, Jesus is Lord. This is why, you know, when, when, if, if you've ever talked to somebody about Christianity, or if you've ever felt uneasy about talking to somebody about Christianity, you know, you, you know, you should share the gospel with this person, you know, you're sitting on the plane and the person next to you starts talking to you. I just immediately, I try not to talk on airplanes, but if, if a person starts talking to me, then immediately my conscience is pricked. Because now I feel like, ah, God, you know, I got, I've got, got to share the gospel here because I just can't have this person face me in eternity and say, wait, you sat next to me for three hours and you couldn't say a word? So if they don't talk to me, I don't know why I feel let off the hook, but I do. <laughs> but if they start talking to me, then my conscience is pricked. Or whoever it might be, you know, and you feel anxious, maybe a family member, somebody you love, a dear friend, and you know you should share the gospel, but you feel that tug of holding you back. Why? Why? Like if you knew, if you knew there was a, 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 some, some big pot of gold somewhere, you know, and, and you knew it was there, and you had a dear friend who was broke, you'd be like, dude, you got to go here. <laughs> this, there's this huge pot of gold, and it's just there for the taking. You would have, you, there would be nothing in you like, I'm so anxious. I don't know if I can actually bring this up to them. You, know, you wouldn't have that at all. You just rush them over to the, to the place where the pot of gold is. We have something infinitely greater than that. But sometimes we feel that tug like, this is going to be awkward. Why? This is why. Because what we're talking about when we bring the gospel is we're talking about sovereignty. We're talking about a, a Lord. We know that when we confront with this, what we're actually doing is calling upon them to change their loyalties. We're calling on them to acknowledge that someone else is Lord over them. And by human nature, we do not want this. The whole, the whole fall in the Garden of Eden was man grasping after fruit so that he could be Lord. God knows the day you eat, you will be like him. And Adam and Eve said, we'll take it. So when you come bringing the gospel, what you are essentially doing is calling somebody to acknowledge that they are not Lord of their lives. Now, this is a beautiful truth. My goodness gracious, you can't manage your life. We need Jesus Christ as Lord. What a blessed and glorious Lord. It's wonderful. It's better than a pot of gold stuffed somewhere. No doubt, but it's really offensive as well. And no one can say it. No one can actually embrace that because it requires dying to self. It requires pulling ourselves off the throne of our own lives. And the scriptures say, will not happen apart from the Holy Spirit. But will you hear that being preached? Will you hear that being taught? That Jesus Christ is Lord. That is of the Spirit. But apart from the Holy Spirit, it will not be done. Think of Paul's words to the Romans in Romans 3 where there is no one who seeks God, there is no one who understands, there is no one who does good, no, not even one, right? Our hearts are bent away from God, and we are not inclined to embrace Him as Lord apart from the intervening work of the Holy Spirit. So all who proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord are of the Spirit of God. So the first matter of potential division within the church is downright simple, fundamental teaching 
about who Christ is. And we ought to have very sensitive ears and hearts to teaching that, that leads away from the glory of Christ. And look for the number one evidence of a quote-unquote spirit-filled church. What is the number one sign of a spirit-filled church? I tell you this, it is not speaking in tongues. It is not miracles and healings. I don't, we'll have to deal with those things. It's coming up in the text. And even if we grant these things, that's not the sign of a spirit-filled church. The sign of a spirit-filled church is Christ is magnified. Christ is has a spotlight on him. If you walk into a church and Christ is being exalted, Christ is being held high, it's a sign that the spirit is there. The spotlight is on. So look for that. I think that's what Paul is calling us to that kind of unity. Now, secondly, Paul turns now to the gifts. These are the things that apparently in the church are being held. Well, I'm better than you. Well, I have this power. You don't have that power. You know, you need me more than I need. It's all this kind of silly wrangling that goes on within a community. So Paul turns to that in verse 4. There are diversity of gifts, but the same spirit. There's a diversity of gifts, but the same. So this one spirit that unites us all, because everyone in this room right here would raise their hand and say, yes, Christ is Lord. Praise God. We have the one spirit. So there's unity amongst us. In all of our little diversities, we have the one spirit that unites us to the one Christ. But, Paul says, this one spirit that unites us has also ministered to us all very differently. Now, he unites us in one truth, but he blesses us all and uses us all in a multitude of different ways. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. So again, notice here we've got Spirit and Lord. So we're united in the Spirit. We're united in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 3, and there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. And here we have Paul giving us the unity that we have and the diversity by drawing upon the Trinity. Right? It's, it's what we are as a triune people of God. And think about the beauty and the glory of the Trinity. I just taught this with my, uh, we're while well, we're going through the Council of Nicaea in church history. So we're thinking through how we, what we believe about Christian orthodoxy and the Trinity and helping the kids at least be able to say it properly, to make sure that we could talk about God properly, that we believe in one God who is three persons, right? One God in three persons. But the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, while they are distinct, they're equal in power and glory. Yet within that glorious unity of the Trinity— one God, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So while we celebrate the oneness of God, there's a beautiful, the, the image I use to them is like a, a dance of love within the one God among the three persons. And it's a dance of deference. Like they're all, each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is dancing around the other two persons, glorifying them, seeking their glory. Everything the Father does, He does for the glory of the Son and the Spirit. 
And everything the Son does, He does for the glorification of the Father and the Spirit. Everything the Spirit does, He does for the glory of the Father and the Son. There's this beautiful dance inside the Trinity of love. Distinction, because the Father sends the Son. The Son does not send the Father. The Father sends the Son. And the Son does the will of His Father who sent Him. This is what Jesus says. And He loves to do the will of His Father who sent Him. He actually says, my food and my drink is to do the will of the, the Son is so delighted to do the will of His Father because He loves His Father. And He knows that His Father commands all things for His good. For when the Son accomplishes the will of His Father and hands over a kingdom to His Father, His Father says, Son, I give it to you. I give you all authority in heaven and earth. Again, just this beautiful giving to the... Even Jesus, as I said, when He ascends to the Father, says, it's good for you I go away because I'm going to send the Spirit. What, what an amazing, amazingly humble, loving thing to say, right? Is that here, the one who's coming after me is the one you should really desire. You should desire the Spirit. And then the Spirit comes, and what does He do? He shines the glory on the Son. Again, there's just this, this dance of glorifying the others in the Trinity. And this is the model that Paul says is of the church. Again, there are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversity of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. It's the same Father. It's the same Son. It's the same Holy Spirit. But even within the Trinity, we have this diversity and yet an undergirding and essential unity that, that they all share. Our own catechism. The Westminster Shorter Catechism. How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. The gifts, the, the work of the Son is not simply to glorify the Son. Right? The, the, the gifts, if we can call them this, they're not gifts because they're, they're essential to the Son. But the qualities of the Son, the Son views to magnify the Father. That's, that's what the Son sees as His purpose, is to glorify His Father. And the Father sees His purpose to glorify the Son and the Spirit right in the whole mix. And oh, that we would view our roles within the church this way. Paul says this in verse 7. Now he brings it after speaking about the unity and the diversity within the Godhead that we all share. Paul turns around. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. So the Spirit has been given to us. right? The Father sent the Son. The Son redeemed us. The Son sent the Spirit. And the Spirit pours out gifts to us. For what? For the profit of all. Whatever gifts I have, why are they given to me? Whatever gifts you have, and we all have gifts within the church. No one is here left ungifted. He pours out gifts upon all. But for what purpose? And he says, for the profit of all. Now, if you remember, I encourage you to go back today, and if, if, you, if you would, and read Ephesians 4 again. Listen to Paul's words there in Ephesians where Paul talks about the multitude. Notice, if you remember in the beginning of that, he begins with a statement, a very strong statement of unity. 
There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope, one calling. You know, you know, it's just one, one, one. We are one. We are one people. We all share this one hope. We all share this one calling. We're all in this one Lord. We all share one baptism. We all have one faith. One, one, one. But to each of us, gifts have been given. Some have been made this. Some have been made teachers. Some apostles. Some this. Some that. And then he says, all of this for the equipping of the saints for the building up of the body of Christ. Each joint doing its own thing. But each joint, now we're going to get to this next when we talk about the body, so we're already tapping into the body metaphor because Paul does it in Ephesians 4. But each joint in my body, right now moving my elbow, right? the elbow does not exist for its own sake. The elbow is doing its thing. Praise God for my elbow and for the, the, the ligaments in there and for the cartilage in there and the bone in there and the muscle around it. Praise God for this complex joint in my arm. But it does not exist for itself. It exists for the whole. It exists for the edification of the whole body so that this body can be functional and be whole and healthy and provide for itself and provide for others. That's why my elbow exists. And so Paul is saying here, yes, we have a diversity of gifts. We've all been given gifts, but those gifts are for the profit of all. They are for the equipping of the saints for the building up of his church. Now, do you view your gifts that way? Mine, my, for at least with the teaching and preaching, it's obvious how I do it, right? Because I get up here in front of you all every day. And it's very easy then to, to fall into a trap and say, okay, well, he's the one that, that has the, the gift to do this within the church. But that's not what Paul's saying. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying we all have gifts. We all have gifts that we are to use for the profit of all. And think back to our Old Testament image today in the building of the tabernacle. I mean, th th some things only the wealthy had, and so, hey, if you have it, bring it. Some things anybody would have. You, Hey, you have skill in sewing. Come over here and use it. You know, you have gifts in this. Come and do it. And then you had Be uh, Bezalel, who was anointed by God with the gift of craftsmanship, and he was going to be the chief craftsman. Okay, so so Bezalel had, he he's named in that text in Exodus 35. He's named to be the chief craftsman. But there's a whole host of other people who are doing all these little things with badger skin and ram skin and goat hair and this kind of thread. And hey, you have some purple dye? Great, we need that. People are turning in their nose rings and their earrings and their jewelry because they're contributing. So it was like a whole host of different gifts, a whole host of different provisions. And you have been gifted. And the gift is to be used for the building up of the people of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit the body of Christ, his church. So we all have differences, but we're all united in one to one end. And just as the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit seeking to glorify the other, so this church should be a dance, a dance of love within this church, of us seeking to use our gifts and abilities for the good of the whole, and then beyond the walls of this church, right? To, to the, the church at large, the, the church. We're looking at ways this church can participate in the grand dance of the building up of the kingdom of God. And then he lists them. And again, we'll come back to this when we get to <clears throat> some in chapter 14. 
But he says here he starts to list, for to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. So Paul lists these gifts here, and this is not the exhaustive list of gifts that God has given to his church, but I think what he is doing here are listing these sort of spectacular gifts that are being used and claimed within the church of Corinth and that are frankly bringing some division. But we know Paul in Romans will talk about gifts of hospitality and gifts of generosity and gifts of caring for one another that way, gifts of administration. I mean, a whole multitude of gifts that God has given to his church. And you, you, some of you, if, if asked, could, could we, none of us like talking about our gifts. But remember, they're gifts. They're gifts to you, right? You can't, you can't boast in them. How can you boast in a gift? A gift is a gift. But it's important that we meditate on, Lord, how have you gifted me? What have you given? Because the gift you've given to me, I can't go and bury in a ground. In the ground, right? Think about the parable of the talents. Can't do that. That, 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 that. that servant is not honored before the Lord when he comes back and says, you gave me this gift and here I give it back to you. The Lord says, get out of here. Give it to me. And he gives it to someone else. But the others who take the gifts that the Lord gives them and invest it, put it to work. So we've got to ask, what, what, what are your gifts? And if you need help on that, talk. Talk to others in the church. Talk to people who know you and ask if, if, if you're uncertain about these things. But where do you feel like you are equipped and talented? Where do you feel you have interest in things you love to do? Seek these things out and seek ways in which you can use them for the edifying of God's church. So we'll, even in Sunday school, if you want, we can talk about some of the particular gifts. And as I said, we will come back to them. And then Paul ends in verse 11. But in all these different things, but there is one in the same spirit who works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. So Paul cinches it back by reminding us, yes, there's a multitude of gifts he pours out. Everyone in here is gifted differently. We might share some things in common, but we all have uniquenesses. We all have different abilities and giftedness. But let us never forget, we are all of the same spirit. My gifts are no more important to this church than your gifts. My gifts are not more valuable within the kingdom than your gifts. And that goes two ways. It means I ought not be proud. I ought not boast. Neither should you boast. But it also also means that we should not say, well, Bezalel's the one who's the main builder of the tabernacle. You know, so fine, I don't have to worry about it. No, no, no. No, we, we all have roles to play. And even the smallest, seemingly smallest, and most minute, has a role to play within the glorious building of that amazing tabernacle. I mean, who knows the, the, the thread that was given to the church or the sewing that was done over here for the garments played a spectacular role, bless you, in the, in the building of the tabernacle. I want to encourage you in that as you seek your own, to, to understand your own giftedness. Well, let us remember as we move forward and we'll have it brought back to us uh, in the weeks to come, particularly the fact that we are one as the people of God, blessed in a multitude of ways, but united in our gift of the Spirit.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for your spirit. For it is by your spirit that we proclaim in this church boldly and unitedly that Christ is Lord. Protect us from division. Protect us from false teaching. Protect us from pride. Protect us from apathy. And Lord, by your Spirit, give us wisdom to discern the gifts that you've given to each one of us, that we indeed might use them for the common good, the profit of all. And in our use of them, may we demonstrate in the very life of this church the glory of your triune nature. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit manifested in and through this multitude of gifts, but united in one purpose, in one hope, in one calling, in one Lord. So bless us to that end, and may you use us, we pray, for the building up of your church and the glorifying of your name here, throughout the world, and unto the end of ages. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.